Well, friends, good morning. Good morning. Welcome, everyone, to worship at Pleasant Street Christian Reformed Church. Uh, welcome to those of you here in the room with us and those of you joining us online uh, as we gather for worship together as a community, both in person and virtually today. Whether you are in the room or somehow joining us via live stream or after the fact, we always gather in the good news and in the presence of God. And so wherever you are, the good news today is that God can find you in that place. As we get started this morning, I have a couple of things I want to highlight for you, just two, really. One is that uh, if you haven't heard or seen the news, let me be the first to tell you that we have a church softball team, and their season has started. And the, rain, or the weather's been mostly good on game days, so we haven't had a lot of cancellations so far. But they actually have a game tomorrow night at 5.30, and it's not so far away. It's actually just right down the street at the Whitensville Christian School baseball field. And we were hoping to try to get some folks to come and to show up at that game tomorrow night. If you are a tailgater type of person and you have a grill kind of thing, and you want to bring that, you would, of course, be welcome to. But tomorrow night is a game at 5.30. We wanted to see if we can get some folks to come out and join us for that game to cheer them on. So please do join us for that. The other thing uh, is that next Sunday is the end of the month, and in our church, it's our practice to celebrate communion on the last Sunday of the month. And we wanted to let you know that next Sunday, we'll be trying a format for communion that we haven't done in a while. And so I wanted to give you a heads up so that we could be practicing together. Uh, up until late, we've been practicing and celebrating communion by passing plates together. Next Sunday, we'll be doing uh, a version of communion, the supper, by gathering into lines and coming forward to take the bread and the juice. We'll have more instructions for you next week. I just wanted you to know in advance so you weren't surprised. That's all I have uh, in terms of announcements, and so friends, I'd like to invite you to rise in body and spirit. Let's worship together. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. In our anguish we cried to the Lord, and he answered by setting us free. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures The Lord is our strength and our song. He's become our salvation. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. We will not die, but live, and will proclaim what the Lord has done. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad.
In Christ alone, my hope is found. But if you're like me, many times this week, more times than I probably can count, I relied on myself, and I didn't rely on him. I didn't take things that I should have to him in prayer. I missed opportunities to tell others about his great love for us. If you're like me, you need a time to, call, um, to bring these um, sins and confessions to God for his forgiving um, love. Please join me in a prayer of confession. Lord, you said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Lord, you said you may ask for anything in my name. Lord, you said do not let our hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. We confess that our lives are often Lord, you said if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Lord, you said you must testify, for you have been with me. Lord, you said, love each other as I have loved you. Please continue to bring your silent confessions to God. Hear these words of assurance from John 3, verses 16 and 17. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Friends, in Christ, we have forgiveness of our sins. Would the deacons please come forward for our morning <laughs> offering? Please join me in a prayer before our offering is taken. Gracious Heavenly Father, everything we have is yours. Every good and perfect gift comes from you, our loving Father. Please accept the gifts that we offer back to you. Use them in growing your kingdom, Lord. And help us to share, too, in that kingdom work by telling others about your great love for us and them. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.
Join me in saying the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the whole Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body. God welcomes you to his house of worship this morning and greets you with these words. The peace of Christ is with you. Let's take a moment to greet one another. Have all the Kid Street kids come up here? People of God, what is our prayer? Go in peace to love and serve Jesus.
I'm LaFrancis, there it is. Um, and it's, I'm one of the elders here at Pleasant Street, and it is my privilege to bring us in prayer this morning. Um, before we do that, however, um, we do have one announcement. Uh, we were made aware that Jerry Kuick passed away late last night. Um, he was in Florida in a rehab and had taken a sudden turn over the last couple of days. Um, we ask that you keep the Kuick family, Phyllis, Connor, and Lindsay, and their children, Rick Picard, um, and all of the extended family in your prayers in the next few days and weeks as they grieve Jerry's passing here with us. Um, as we were singing, knowing that I needed to tell you this, it reminded me um, how true those words are that we just sang. Lord, I need you. Every hour, every minute, every day, I need you. And um, Jerry's family in particular truly needs an extra measure of God's peace in these days. So would you join me in prayer? Jesus Messiah, name above all names, Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are the name above all names, our blessed Redeemer and Ascended Lord. Resurrected Jesus, in your rising and ascension, you now reign with your Father in heaven, Lord over all. With all of your angels and heavenly hosts, we cry, holy, holy are you, Lord. Creator and ruler over all things, we praise you for calling us as your children. You who breathed life into all that is, all that was, and all that ever will be, also created and watch over each of us so intentionally that not even a hair can fall from our heads without you knowing. We praise you for the beauty of springtime and the new life springing up all around us, from green grass to flowers to leaves on trees to baby animals and new additions to families. Keep us from ever taking these things for granted, but instead fill us with wonder amazement and gratitude for your provision and blessing in our lives. We give you praise, Heavenly Father, as we wrap up another academic year and prepare for a time of rest over the summer. We ask that you would help students remain focused and finish strong as they complete their classes for the year. We give you thanks for students who have finished high school and college courses of study and are now graduating and looking forward to what you have in store for the next chapter in their lives. Give them a sense of satisfaction and accomplishment for the work they have done, and fill them with excitement and also your peace as they anticipate what comes next. We thank you also for another year of ministries here at Pleasant Street, youth groups, midweek studies, gems and cadets, adult Bible studies, and recovery ministries. We ask that you bless our leaders with well-deserved rest and give them energy and vision to begin thinking about next year. We also pray that you would ignite a desire in others to become leaders and volunteers who are passionate about sharing their gifts with others. We ask that you would guide our church leaders and give them your spirit of discernment as we seek new staff members. Move those whom you have already chosen to answer the call to serve our church family and lead us as we seek to follow you. Abundant and gracious God, 
you have showered us with more blessings than we can name or deserve. In so many ways, we live comfortable lives. Help us to be aware and to act out of your abundance as we confess that we have a tendency to become complacent. Move our hearts and our hands to share with those, even in our own communities, who struggle to provide homes, food, and basic necessities for their families. Open our eyes to see and help, and help us make time for those who struggle with failing health, aging bodies, mental health issues, and loneliness. Help us to encourage those who commit their time, talents, and families to bring your word to dark and often dangerous places, locally and throughout the world. Stir our thoughts to remember and pray for those in our military who sacrifice time with their families and often even their lives to keep peace in places where there is unrest, animosity, and war. Great physician and healer, we ask that you would care for those in our church family and community who are struggling with health issues. For Hank and Bev, Carol, Rick, Richard, Greg, and Jack A., we ask for strength as they are dealing with long-term illnesses, treatments, and side effects. We pray for Bernie W., who will also be having upcoming surgery. We ask that you would encourage those who are shut in or struggling with health concerns that prevent them from getting out and being with others. Be with Theona, Mike, Alice, Joy, Nellie, Winifred, Ellie, Art, Henrietta, and Arthur. Thank you for their life, their faith, and their unwavering witness to your faithfulness in their lives. Holy Spirit, comforter, we ask that you would walk alongside those who are grieving the loss of loved ones. For the Kewick family, Father, we remember particularly Phyllis, Connor and Lindsay and their families, Rick and his family. We pray that you would surround them with your peace. Bring peace also to Rick and Leanne L. in the loss last week of Rick's mother. And we ask that you also continue to comfort the Stinson, Hart, and Herringa families, as well as others who, although their losses may not be as recent, struggle with waves of sadness and difficult days. Father, thank you for the assurance that this life is not the end, and thank you for your promise of life eternal spent with you. Jesus, as we have celebrated your ascension this week, we now wait as your disciples then waited for your Holy Spirit to fall fresh on us. Thank you for the privilege of meeting together here as your family, whether we are in person or joining online. You promised that where even two or three are gathered in your name, you are with us. We ask that you would anoint Pastor Matthew as he now brings us your word and reminds us that we are as branches on your vine, receiving life only through you and relying on you to feed us. Fill us with your presence and ignite in us a passion to serve you with our whole heart, mind, body, and soul. Jesus Messiah, Lord of all, to you we offer all our praise and to you be all honor, glory, power, and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Today's scripture reading comes from John 15, 1-9. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. 
He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. This Easter season, we've been looking at some things that Jesus says about himself, some declarations, some identity statements that he makes about who he is. And he does this in part to help us realize who we are, and we continue that today. But it's worth pausing for a moment just to mention and remind us that when we come to church, we do the same things each and every week. And there's a moment where I come here and stand like this, and you sit there. And some of you may have noticed that I don't say anything sometimes for a while at the beginning and at the end. And I didn't want you to be confused about why I do that. It's not a stunt. It's a reminder for us that when we come to this moment, we are in the presence of God, and we are in the silence, allowing ourselves to enter a little bit of a different space where God is speaking to us. And so, friends, would you join me in doing that now? Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, light streaming through the window, gathered here in your presence, we ask that you would come by your Spirit. For even as we go through the cycles of the church year and we remember that we haven't yet got to Pentecost, that we have already come here because of Pentecost, And so this morning we gather in your presence because you are in heaven, and when you left, you promised you would send your spirit, and that spirit is moving among us now. And so we ask that you would settle our hearts, that you would open our ears, and that you would speak to us, that we might hear and drink deeply of life. In your name, amen. They have a saying amongst winery and vineyard owners in California, a saying about how to grow about, go about growing a vineyard, and it goes like this. The best way to make a small fortune in wine is to start with a large one. Growing good grapes is an investment. Vineyards are an investment of time and energy and resources. A fruitful vineyard requires many things to be fruitful. It requires a seasoned vine dresser, lots of staff, equipment, and infrastructure. To have a fruitful vineyard, you have to find a way to deal with rot. 
and insects, too much rain and not enough, and these days, in many places, also fire. It takes years of investment before vines even start producing, and even after the grapes have started producing, they need to be processed and aged in oak barrels. It's an incredible investment, and it's a risk, and there is only one reason that you do any of it. Fruit. You can have the coolest wine label. You can have the best terrace for wine tastings with a view unparalleled. You can have a reputation or an image of being a vineyard that makes the phone ring, but without good grapes, the vineyard is an empty investment. God is a vineyard owner. The theme of God as vineyard owner is sprinkled throughout the Old Testament prophets like pepper notes in a cabernet. Places like Isaiah chapter 5, which tells the story of God's vineyard as a song. God buys a fertile hillside, Isaiah sings in the song. God digs the ground and he clears it of stones. He plants the choicest of vines. He builds a watchtower and he fences it in. God digs a wine press well and then God waits. God wants a crop of good grapes, but you have to know that Isaiah chapter 5 is a blues song. It is a lament. God wanted grapes, Isaiah sings, but all he ever gets is wild grapes. God is grieved because there is no fruit. Nothing seems to have come of all of this investment. What went wrong? The soil was good. The vineyard owner knows what he's doing. The conditions were all there. There can be only one source for the fruitlessness. Something is wrong with the vine. Of course, Isaiah doesn't want us to be guessing about who God is talking about in the analogy. So, so he tells us, right, the vineyard is Israel. The people of Judah are the vines. God is the one who is tending the vineyard, hoping for fruit. But when God looks at his vines, there are only wild grapes. There is no, in other words, love for justice. There's only bloodshed. When God looks for a congruent, holy character of life sprouting up from people in his vines, there's only selfishness and fear and cries of distress. Isaiah leaves us with this song of lament, realizing that if God is going to get fruit, he's going to need a new vine. Fast forward to Jesus in John chapter 15, proclaiming himself to be exactly that. Jesus, my friends, does not say he is a vine, nor does he even say, I am the vine. Did you notice what he says? He says, I am the real vine. Friends, it's like Jesus is singing Isaiah's lament of a sad song, but he changes the key. And he says, I am the authentic, real Israel in the flesh. And life comes from being connected to me. This is the way that Jesus 
One of the images that he gives us for what salvation is. Salvation is realizing that you are a dead branch that has been grafted onto the living vine of Jesus. It's simple in that way. On our own, we wither and die, but when God the gardener takes us by his Holy Spirit and grafts us into Jesus, we live. But that's not the end of the story of the vine and the branches. Being grafted to Jesus is actually really just the beginning. It is in being connected to Jesus that we also grow and mature. Which is why the Father nurtures the branches toward fruitfulness. Well, actually, nurture isn't quite the right word, is it? God cuts off fruitless branches, and God cuts the fruitful ones. God is not satisfied just to save some withered branches. No, he, he grafts them all to Jesus, and then he picks and he prunes them. He pays careful and close attention to them, looking for life and then pruning the life to get more life. The picture that Jesus gives us tells us that God still has a vineyard and God is still longing for fruit. Which invites a question, maybe. How fruitful is my life? It is an uncomfortable question. What, do you mean how productive am I with each day? No, no, no. Slow down. (laughs) What I mean is, are we being fruitful? Paul in Galatians 5, you know, he talks about fruit. He says the fruit of the spiritual life in God is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He itemizes it for us. Friends, you can be a productive person and bear no resemblance to those things. Productivity is good, but Jesus doesn't mean success or competence. He means the fruit of a life that is being changed by God. Jesus, did you notice he leaves open wide the definition of fruit? He doesn't tell us specifically what it means, but he does sum it up in that expansive, beautiful, and very concrete word, love. Or you could just call it a life of holiness, a life of authentic God-likeness. God wants fruit. He wants lives bearing the abundant fruit of a life that is both inwardly and outwardly good and beautiful and helpful to the world around us. Which is why we get so anxious about a passage like this. We hear that if. We hear that conditional We sense God's attentiveness, looking and searching, peeking through the leaves, longing for fruit. We do not want to get burned, cut, thrown out. We would like to hide behind the leaves. But God, through his word, keeps pruning the leaves away, exposing a life, looking for fruit and not seeing very much of it. Friends, have you noticed that the church today has more Bible resources, more worship songs, more money, more trained pastor people, more freedom than churches and Christians have maybe ever had. But are we bearing the fruit of deeply changed lives in abundance? I don't know, but it seems like there are a lot of leaves. Things that look like life, right? Smiling faces, Books on shelves, Bible phrases sprinkled through conversation, attendance, participation. But this is not what God invested in. 
God wants grapes. Well, so what do we do, right? This is where we find ourselves. What do we do? We go back to the image that Jesus has presented to us, where he says that he is the real deal vine. We don't need to stand in a vineyard to understand the image. Jesus is the source of real life. We get that. Life flows out from Jesus. The image, what it draws us beyond our fruitfulness or lack thereof to actually a more fundamental problem, right? And I think that's this. We keep trying to be our own source of life. We do not immediately go to Jesus as the source of growth and character transformation that he is. Where do we go? Well, we go to therapy. We go to find ourselves. We go to sort ourselves out. We go to figure out who we are. Now, just hold on a second. I hope that you know by now that I have tremendous respect for the good that good therapy can do, so please don't misunderstand me. But the therapist's job is to connect us to ourselves. To connect us to a past we didn't realize that we were playing out in our modern lives over and over again. To connect us to our own emotions that we're unaware of. To connect ourselves to our own unexpressed needs. And this is really, really important. But contrary to popular belief, you cannot be the source of your own transformation. Why? Because you're a branch. In her book, Hope Has Its Reasons, Rebecca Pippert describes auditing a class in counseling psychology at Harvard. This was several years ago. And uh, she writes about how during one class, the professor was giving a case study of a man who was very angry at his mother. The man didn't realize how angry he was. The professor described how anger was distorting his life. And then he explained how through a therapeutic relationship, the man was able to see how much anger was just destroying his life. And then the professor began to move on to another case study. And Pippert said, well, wait, hold on, wait a minute. She raised her hand. He paused. Yes? Well, that's great, she said, but how do you help the person? What do you mean? The professor asked. Well, how do you help him forgive his mother? If his life is being distorted by his resentment and anger, how do you help him forgive his mother? The professor replied something to the effect of, there's not anything I can do. Hopefully now he will understand his anger and, I don't know, hopefully maybe not be so driven by it. Well, now other students are raising their hands and they're surprised and they're disconcerted and they begin to speak up as well and a discussion follows and finally the professor is at risk of losing control of the class and he has to move on. So he says, look, if you guys are looking for a changed heart, you're looking in the wrong department. God wants fruit that grows out of New soil and new hearts. And you know what? We do too. We do too. We want to be people who can genuinely and deeply forgive. We want to be people who live out of an abundance of generosity and kindness. We want to be people who are not thrown by circumstances, but find reasons to give thanks to God in all things. We want to be people who see the world 
with gratitude and live open-handedly with our neighbors? How do we get there? How do we change? How do we get hearts that grow up fruitfully like this? Well, my friends, the irony of this passage, if you sit with it, the irony of our change is that it does not come by working harder. It does not come through moral effort or force of will. It does not come by looking into the depths of our hearts to find the resources that God has hidden there and just draw them out. John Calvin The reformers, they wrestled with this 500 years ago. They were trying to figure out where does the source of change come from in our lives. And at one point, Calvin writes this. He says, we don't change. We don't become new people by looking inward and trying harder. He says, no, if you contemplate yourself, he writes, that is sure damnation. What did he understand? He understood that if you look, the more that you look at yourself, what do you find? You find a question. Am I doing enough? What else should I be doing? There's a scene in a movie that came out about 10 years ago called Ragamuffin. It's about the, the life of singer-songwriter Rich Mullins. And in this scene, I couldn't show it to you uh, because I couldn't get a copy of it in time, but you can find it. It's on YouTube, right? Uh, but in this scene, Rich and his band Zion, uh, they are about to perform at a church in the South. And there's a pastor there and He's very formal with them, and he asks them all to shape up, and they're not wearing shoes, and he says, put shoes on and get your act together. And this pastor, he's in a three-piece burgundy suit, and he gets up at the end of his message, and he holds up a Bible in front of his flock, and he says, if you're going to get serious about your faith, you need to look at this book like a rule book. It has the do's. It has the don'ts. Are you going to follow the do's? Or are you going to do the don'ts? And then he ends with this question. Would Christ be proud of you? And I can't help but wonder how many times that is a message that we have heard too. My friends, I wonder if this is not the experience of Christianity that some of us have too. That experience of God as an attentive vine dresser with the highest expectations for our lives to be so much more than they are that God is looking desperately anywhere at us and hoping against hope that someday we'll do something. And we are hoping that if we bear enough fruit, he will pay a different kind of attention to us, like us, be satisfied with us, be proud of us, or maybe just finally leave us alone. And if that is the case, please hear the good news that my friends... My friends, you will not ever be enough. And you don't have to be. Because Christ already is. Christ is the source of everything that you have and are and shall be. And Christ is enough. Christ is more than enough. Christ is Christ is everything. And we bear the fruit of generosity in our lives because we are learning to see that it is the vine that is good, not us. We bear the fruit of hope 
when we begin to live secure in the fact that God knows what he is doing. And so we don't have to. We bear love for the world and each other when we are soaking in the love that God has lavished on us. In Christ, we discover that God is attending to us, not because he wishes you to be someone else, but because by his spirit, he is making you more of who you actually and really are. John Orberg is a famous evangelical pastor who worked and lived about 15 minutes away from where I used to live in California. He wrote that book about getting out of the boat, walking on water, maybe you know it. He was very successful, and it turns out, spent most of his life not really sure if he was doing enough. He wrote a book a few years ago uh, in which he tells this story. In the story, he's about in his early 50s, and he's given a sabbatical by his church with nothing to do. The elders invite him to take it, and then the elders insist that he takes it. Because Orberg, in his words, was becoming increasingly frustrated, impatient, and preoccupied. He had too much to do and not enough time. He is living out of an assumption, he says, that we all know too well. That, quote, his inner world would be filled with life, peace, and joy once his external world was perfect. Which, of course, is a great idea as long as you live in a perfect world. John needed help, and so he went to visit his friend Dallas Willard, the great artist of Christian discipleship and spiritual formation. John was a friend of Dallas's, and so he got to spend an entire day with him, just the two of them. John told him that he felt frustrated because the people at his church were not changing more. What do I need to do to help our church experience greater levels of spiritual growth and fruitfulness, he asks. Long pause. Then Dallas says, you must arrange your days so that you are experiencing deep contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. No, John tries again. I I wasn't asking about me. I was asking about other people. I was wondering, what do I need to make the church do? Maybe it's a book everyone should read or a program they should go through. Maybe it's a prayer system everyone should commit to. Yes, Brother John, Dallas interrupts. I know you were thinking of those things. But that's not what you need the most. And it's not what they need the most. The main thing you will give your congregation, just like the main thing that you will give God, is the person you become. If your soul is unhealthy, you can't help anybody. You don't send a doctor with pneumonia to care for patients with immune disorders, after all. I'm trying, John says. Do you hear the anxiety? I'm trying, John says. I do my best each day to start with a quiet time. Well, hold on, Dallas says. I didn't say anything about a quiet time. People in churches, including pastors, have been crushed with guilt over their failure at having a regular quiet time. And then even when they do, they find it doesn't actually lead to a healthier soul. Your problem 
Dallas says, is not the first 15 minutes of your day. It's the next 23 hours and 45 minutes. You must arrange your days so that you are experiencing total contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. My friends, if you are anything like John, if you find yourself to be the kind of person who just really needs a command, there's only one here. Remain. Abide. Or put more simply, come live with me, Jesus says. Come live with me, he says. Come live with me as I live in you. Come live with me and then ask whatever you want because everything that I have, I've already given to you. Come live with me and be at home wherever you go. Come live with me and find contentment and joy and confidence in knowing that now, because of what I have done, God is not asking you What have you done for me lately? He is declaring, look at what my son and I have done for you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, our vine, our source of life, we come to you this morning hearing the abundance in the offer of what you promise us. And it seems too good to be true. For in every other part of our lives and in this world, we are evaluated on performance. And it is strange to come here this morning and find that the evaluation has already already occurred and that you, Jesus, have passed with flying colors. That you are the name above every name. That all the righteousness and all the glory belongs only and finally to you. The strangest bit of all is that you would have done all of that in order simply to make it available to us, to absorb us into what you have done on our behalf. We ask, O God, that you would help us to draw strength from this and so find the pleasure of God who has forever turned his face toward us because his face was turned from you. We trust in hope and faith that even now we will see things growing. We pray this in your name. Amen. Friends, even as we continue to take in and take home the things that God speaks to us, 
We do this as a church in a couple of ways. We respond to God together in song and in conversation, both together here and also through our sermon discussion, which happens shortly after the end of our service today. We also have an opportunity for third through fifth grade students to come forward and to have a chance to talk to some of our church leaders about what they're learning uh, in and hearing and discovering about God in church together. So I want to invite our third through fifth graders to come forward. We have a prayer uh, that we will say together on their behalf. People of God, what is our prayer? Almighty and loving God, thank you for the gift of your word. That's us. Help us to believe what we have heard and live in ways that honor you above all. Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. Thanks be to God. I want to invite our musicians to come forward as they help to lead us all in worship. Friends, would you rise in body and spirit and let's sing together.
we belong to the God who has given himself to us. And in that sure hope, would you lift your eyes, open your hands, and receive God's parting word of blessing for you. Friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen. Let's go singing.
Jesus, for he has said that he will bring me home. And day by day, I know he will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne. To this I hold my hope is only Jesus. All the glory evermore to Him. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. To this I hold. grace and have a blessed week.